Hello, and welcome to In the Privy Council, a podcast reviewing cases heard before the Judicial Committee of His Majesty's Most Honorable Privy Council, brought to you by the Legal Style Blog. I'm your host, Elijah Granite. This week, we're discussing the Jamaican case of Morgan and the King, the citation for which is 2023 UKPC 25. This is a case arising out of a horrifying set of circumstances in the Jamaican criminal courts, and which will deal with the question of discretion. When should a court hear an out-of-time criminal appeal? In 2011, the appellant, Ray Morgan, who has a long criminal history, was convicted of four counts of fraud. The magistrate sentenced him to 12 years, giving him the maximum a magistrate could sentence three years on each count. Mr. Morgan would later claim the sentence was unlawful, and argue that the magistrate should only have been able to sentence him to three years overall. The right to appeal against a criminal conviction and sentence is protected by the Jamaican Constitution. But there's a catch. The time spent in custody appealing the conviction does not count towards the sentence. At his sentencing, Mr. Morgan gave a verbal notice of appeal, which is allowed under Jamaican law. Then, within the required 21-day period, Mr. Morgan completed the requisite form from prison and gave it to the prison authorities. The prison authorities should have given this appeal to the clerk of the courts in time. Instead, they, out of time, sent it by mistake to the Court of Appeals Registrar, a grievous error which may have been exacerbated by the fact that the form contained incorrect instructions. The Court of Appeal, having received the misdirected form, then created a file for a criminal appeal, and accordingly sent notice to the prison authorities that until the appeal was decided, Mr. Morgan's time in prison would not count towards serving his sentence. It took until 2017 for the misdirection to be discovered. During those years, Mr. Morgan simply sat in prison and was no closer to finishing his sentence because his appeal hadn't been heard. Despite this, the process continued to move at a glacial pace. If Mr. Morgan hadn't appealed, he likely would have been released with remission in 2019. But instead, at the end of 2020, he remained in prison, desperately trying to have his appeal heard. In 2021, Mr. Morgan was released, the court acknowledging he had served more than his sentence. Mr. Morgan continued his appeal against sentence and conviction. Due to the misdirection of his form, the appeal was out of time, and so the Court of Appeal had the discretion but not the obligation to hear it. It could choose to hear it if there were, in the words of the governing statute, good cause shown. The president of the court, my lord, Mr. Justice Brooks, held that Mr. Morgan had no grounds for appeal against conviction. As for sentence, the president noted that while there was merit in Mr. Morgan's arguments about the sentence, this was not enough to be good cause. The president gave two reasons for this. First, due to yet another bureaucratic mix-up, 
the record of the trial, which by law is required to be made, could not be found. So the court would not have the magistrate's reason for sentence if it considered the appeal. The second reason given was that the court found that because Mr. Morgan had already served his sentence, the appeal was therefore academic. The president further considered if this was a case where, quote, justice demands an appeal. Counsel for Mr. Morgan argued inter alia that the appeal was necessary to raise important constitutional questions about the validity of the rule that time spent on appeal should count towards sentence, since there was a number of recent Privy Council authorities suggesting to the contrary. As the Jamaican Constitution provides for redress, for breaches of constitutional rights, Mr. Morgan's counsel further argued that this redress could extend to quashing the conviction altogether. His lordship disagreed, feeling that any redress would be simply a reduced sentence, which was irrelevant in this case, making it all academic again. Mr. Morgan then appealed to the board, where we pick up the case. For the board, my lord, Lord Stevens of Crevy Locker, the starting point was the agreed conclusion that Mr. Morgan's appeal against his sentence had merit. But was that good cause? Counsel for the Crown seized upon an dictum of Lord Hughes of Ombersley in Moss and the Queen, 2013, 1 Weekly Law Reports, 3,884, Privy Council, Bahamas, where at paragraph 8, his lordship said there might be cases in which the sentencing appeal is academic because the sentence has already been served. Yet, as Lord Stevens of Crevy Locker noted, that dictum was qualified in the context of my lord, Lord Hughes of Ombersley's other observations that deciding whether a case were academic required long consideration to avoid injustice. The appellant's counsel noted that appeal against sentence had very real practical consequences that made it not academic. First, in a subsequent claim for constitutional redress, compensation will relate to how long Mr. Morgan was wrongfully imprisoned. If his sentence was three years instead of twelve, then Mr. Morgan would be owed a lot more compensation. Second, if Mr. Morgan offends again, as his long record suggests he will, future sentencing will take account of his past sentence. Again, a sentence of three years will look very different to a future sentencing judge than one of twelve. The board found that these were persuasive submissions, and agreed the appeal was not academic. Next, the board examined the point about the missing record of the trial. His lordship considered that the Court of Appeals claim that the abject failure of the justice system to produce the record should be counted against the appellant's appeal to be contrary to, quote, basic principles of fairness, unquote. It obviously is unjust to punish Mr. Morgan because the courts couldn't meet their statutory duties. The last point was the question of the interests of justice. The board noted that it was in the public interest to record the serious failings of the justice system and to show them being corrected. Absent such public discussion, 
the public could not have confidence in the justice system's ability to self-regulate. The appeal would be instructive and a guidance for future practice. For these reasons, the board considered there was ample good cause for the appeal. Lord Stevens of Creevy Lopgera did not mince his words, writing that the board considers there a serious miscarriage of justice has occurred. The board, therefore, humbly advised His Majesty to allow the appeal and remit the case to the Court of Appeal to consider the appeal against sentence. Turning now to our analysis of the case, the starting point with this case must be horror at the unconscionable defects in justice which this case exposed. From an initial, likely unlawful sentence to years of delay, the system appeared prepared to repeatedly punish Mr. Morgan for its own errors. I fear this may have been in part because Mr. Morgan was a repeat criminal, which led to the system, by which I mean those who work within this justice system, regarding him as expendable. Yet it is precisely because of this that the board was completely right to note that it is vitally important the appeal be heard out of time. The cause of justice requires that especially the wretched repeat petty criminal be accorded the same procedural rights as the most angelic wrongfully accused, and that where wrongs have been committed by the state in the criminal context, remedy be available. The test of good cause is met because there is no better cause than justice. The stingy approach taken by the Court of Appeal would have resulted in the destruction of the appellate system, since it would be trivially easy to misplace the court records in any appeal. This case thus illustrates an important feature of the Privy Council, the detachment of their lordships from the complex local politics and messy realities of the local legal environment. This detachment has its downsides, of course, but here we saw the benefit, the board taking an objective and distanced view, which allowed it to become aware of the reality of the miscarriage of justice which occurred. Where the courts failed Mr. Morgan, he was able to seek justice from the very fount of justice, His Majesty the King in Council. This case shows us the Judicial Committee at its very best. Before we conclude, I want to also appreciate the tireless and effective work of Mr. Morgan's attorney at law, Mr. Terence F. Williams. The dedication and tenacity of Mr. Williams's fight to obtain justice for his client shown through the record. Mr. Williams, on behalf of the podcast, I extend my sincerest appreciation and gratitude. Your work exemplifies the very best of the legal profession. Thank you very much for listening to another episode of In the Privy Council, brought to you by the Legal Style Blog. I have been your host, Elijah Granite. If you want more legal content, visit our website, legalstyle.co.uk, or follow us on Twitter, at LegalStyleBlog. If you have any comments, suggestions, rants, or raves, the email of the podcast is editor at legalstyle.co.uk. We also welcome any ratings or reviews on your usual podcast platforms. Until next time, goodbye, and God save the